Welcome to the Investigation Guru, where real-life PIs Sean and Dana bring you to the darker side of true crime investigations. Stories so horrific, it's hard to believe they actually happened. But truth is often darker than fiction. Real life can sometimes involve lies, betrayal, abduction, and even torture and death. These stories will take you on a journey through some of the world's darkest and most notorious true crime investigations. The Investigation Guru starts now. Here's Sean and Dana. Hello and welcome to the Investigation Guru podcast. This is the official podcast for Red Door Investigations. My name is Sean and tonight we're going to discuss the sad and shocking case of Chris Watts, who murdered his pregnant wife Shanann and their two young daughters Bella and Celeste in 2018. If this is your first time with us, welcome and thank you so much for tuning in. So, sit back, relax, and join me as we dive into a bit of the darker side of human behavior. Some background. Chris was born in Spring Lake, North Carolina on May 16, 1985. Shanann Razuchek was born in Aberdeen, North Carolina on January 10, 1984. Chris and Shanann met on Facebook in 2010, and they married on November 3, 2012. They had two daughters together, Bella Marie Watts, born on December 17, 2013, and Celeste Catherine Watts, who they called Cece, was born on July 17, 2015. Chris worked at Anadarko Petroleum, one of their kind of offshore oil drilling sites would later be used as the burying plot for, as a burying site for uh, Shanann and two children. Shanann worked at a call center for a local hospital and sold Thrive products from home and raised their two daughters. Now Thrive, if you haven't heard of it, is a product that they claim, quote, is a premium daily lifestyle plan to help individuals experience and reach peak physical and mental levels. You're going to live, look, and feel ultra-premium like never before. End quote. They made a pretty good living together and purchased a large five-bedroom house in Frederick, Colorado in 2013. Not long after they purchased their home, they started to rack up quite a bit of credit card debt and medical bills, so they were really kind of living beyond their means. They made quite a bit of money together, but uh, again, you know, Chris really enjoyed spending money. He was apparently very, very bad with money. And this, again, was another source of, of a lot of the trouble in their marriage, you know, financial problems being the number one cause of divorce. We're going to talk a little bit more about their financial problems uh, a little bit later in the podcast. Some Facebook posts from Shanann. Shanann's Facebook page painted a portrait of a very, very happy married life. She called Chris, quote, my rock, and said that he was, quote, the best dad us girls could ask for, end quote. She said, Chris is the best thing ever. We had a storybook romance. Even Bella sang about her love of her father, singing, quote, My daddy is a hero. He helps me grow up strong. He helps me snuggle, too. He reads me books. He ties my shoes. You're a hero through and through. My daddy, my daddy, I love you. End quote. Now, with both Chris's and Shanann's jobs, their annual income was pretty cool, 90 grand a year. Yet, they, they filed bankruptcy in June of 2015, which is kind of, uh, kind of unusual. In their bankruptcy filing, they listed a $3,000 a month mortgage and $600 a month in car payments, with an additional $1,300 in monthly expenses. This all totaled $4,900 in expenses every single month. 
Now, these expenses, combined with their mounting credit card debt and student loans and medical bills, averaged out to a grand total of over $70,000 in unsecured claims on top of their mortgage. Their homeowners association was also suing them for $1,533.80 on top of all of their other debts and obligations. So they were really kind of in some financial shit. But still, they had over $20,000 in income over and above all of their debts and bills. How on earth could they not have possibly made that work? That's, that's almost $2,000 a month over and above what they used to pay their bills. So after they paid all their bills, they still had $2,000 every single month. I just, I simply do not understand how they were having such financial problems that they had to declare bankruptcy. On top of all of this massive debt the family was in from credit cards, student loans, and medical expenses, Chris was also having an affair. He was seeing a co-worker, Nicole Lee Kessinger, and continuously emailed and texted her. They spent quite a bit of time together and even went on several vacations together. They went skiing, they went hiking a couple of times, uh, they spent quite a bit of time together. Uh, there were several posts on uh, Nicole's Facebook page that, uh, you know, showed them pictures of them on the ski slopes and Chris had his arms around her and, and they were kissing and really seemed very, very happy. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised that, you know, knowing that he was he was married, that she would post this kind of stuff to to Facebook. Uh, Chris was also actually planning or told Nicole that he was planning on leaving Shanann to be with to be with her which of course only further fueled their relationship and, and made them, you know, she was almost kind of this fantasy escape for Chris. And, you know, he could, he could be with her and, and pretend that his, you know, the, the troubles and, you know, the financial problems and the, the continuous arguing and things that he had with Shanann, they, they could kind of go by the wayside and, and, you know, he could kind of, you know, escape from that and, and be, be away from kind of the, the drudgery and day-to-day -day life of, of responsibility that he had at home. Uh, Shanann's friends Nicholas and Amanda Thayer said that Shanann had expressed concerns of infidelity to them. So Shanann had kind of been suspicious, you know, for a while before the murders. Uh, Chris, and, Chris and Shanann's marriage was not in a good place when all of this was going on. Again, they, they had all of those, you know, mounting financial debts and all of these other problems. They started to have, you know, sexual problems and things, you know, not surprising that, you know, with the affair and everything like that, that a lot of Chris's sexual energies and sexual attention went to Nicole instead of Shanann. Shanann complained constantly about Chris's lack of interest in her sexually and how he focused more on working out than on her and the kids. Apparently, Chris had recently lost quite a bit of weight and had this kind of new lease on life. So he was almost really going through kind of this, you know, stereotypical midlife crisis where he started to take a lot of interest in himself. And he, he you know, used to be about 240, 250 pounds, which was quite a quite a bit of weight. And uh, so he started working out and started really kind of shaping up his life and, and getting himself really a, a lot more presentable which is, again, one of the a very big sign that, you know, your spouse is cheating if they start to take this renewed interest in their appearance and then how, you know, how they look to the outside world and how they might be attractive to members of the opposite sex. Uh, even the police had uh, mentioned that uh, Chris's recent weight loss looks suspicious and that when men begin to focus on their appearance, that is usually pretty strongly indicative of an affair. This also probably didn't help it with Shanann's confidence in their relationship and further fueled her suspicions that something was, was not right, that something was going on. I mean, Shanann recognized that this is a pretty big sign. You know, he, he had never really been that focused on his appearance before, and this 
complete drastic change in his behavior and his demeanor and, and how he was, you know, beginning to present himself to the world. And he started really focusing on his appearance and, and getting, you know, losing a lot of weight and starting to build muscle. And he was trying, obviously, to become much more attractive to, to other women. Shanann caught on to this and noticed this, and it really, really bothered her a whole lot. Chris, of course, you know, initially denied all of these allegations. You know, Shanann confronted him. You know, is there someone else? Are you, are you sleeping around? Are you having an affair? And of course, Chris denied it up and down and, and never really, you know, gave Shanann any of that closure or that peace of mind that, that she probably needed. Uh, you know, he should have manned up and just admitted that, you know, I'm not happy here or, you know, that this is, you know, there's something missing or lacking here and, you know, I need, I need something more. Instead, he you know, went around behind her back and started really kind of developing almost this, this new life, this second life with, uh, with Nicole. All of this ultimately probably led to uh, Chris's decision to leave Shanann and may have been the source of, of this argument that they had uh, the night that Shanann and the children were murdered. Um, she had gotten home from a from a training trip, and uh, authorities believe that this is actually the night that that Chris murdered all of them. So Shanann's disappearance. Shanann went on a Thrive training trip in Arizona and returned home at around 1:48 a.m. On, on the night of August 13, 2018. She was driven home from the airport by her friend and colleague Nicole Atkinson. When she got home, Chris was already home, of course, and um, in bed with the children. And uh, as soon as Shanann walked in the door, she and Chris had a pretty heated argument. This, this is the argument I was talking about earlier that probably fueled a lot of the uh, stress. And I, I, I guess Chris's anger kind of went overboard and he just, he snapped. Um, Shanann accused Chris of having the affair. This is when she initially confronted him finally and, you know, said, are, are you, are you sleeping with someone else? And Chris, of course, again, denied this. Um, and, you know, during during this argument, uh, this is probably when when the murders happened. We know that they happened that night. We know that they happened in the room in the in the house at that uh, at that time. But uh, it, it was never really Chris never really admitted that that was the reason that he killed them. The crime. The murders occurred at their home in Frederick, Colorado, during the early morning hours of August 13th, 2018. Chris murdered Shanann by strangulation. She was 15 weeks pregnant with the son, who they were going to call Nico, when she was killed. Right after he murdered Shanann, he backed his truck into the garage, loaded up her dead body, and took it, along with the girls, who were still alive at this point, to his work site to dispose of Shanann's body. So I want you to kind of wrap your head around exactly what he did. He took the dead body of his pregnant wife and put it in the floorboard of his truck. And then he took his two young daughters were still alive and put them in the back seat and then drove about 45 minutes away to one of the offshore sites of for Anadarko. It, it's not an offshore drilling facility, but it was the the site was kind of way out in the, in the country. And it was a good, I think he said about a 45 to 50 minute drive from their house. So his two young children were riding in the back seat of his truck for 45 minutes with their feet on the body of their dead mother. I, I don't, I don't understand that. That must have been, I mean, uh, they kept asking Chris, what, what's wrong with mommy? Why is she not, why is she, you know, laying down back here? Why is she not talking? And Chris would continuously tell them, you know, mommy's not feeling well, but just the idea of putting his two children in the back seat with the dead body of their mother is pretty uncaught. I mean, that, that is some pretty psychopathic ballsy move. Just what, what it would take for him to check out and distance himself psychologically enough to be able to do that is is really quite remarkable. 
Now, when they arrived on this kind of this off-site area where, you know, that was owned again by Anna Darko, who was Chris's uh, employer, Chris took a blanket. He, he brought one of the children's blankets with him, and he put it over each one of his child's faces and smothered them to death. He took their own blanket and wrapped it around their head and smothered each of his two children in turn in the backseat of his truck right there with the dead body of his pregnant wife. Uh, he buried Shanann in a shallow grave at this site. So he got out and he dug the grave after he killed Shanann and his two little girls, got out, grabbed the shovel, started digging. Buried Shanann in a small, shallow grave right there where his truck was parked. He then put his little girls in one of the oil tanks. So the, the site kind of had these two big chambers. I, I, I'm not really exactly sure what to call them, but they're, they're these the cylindrical oil tanks, we'll call them. And he climbed it. It was, you know, they were about 30, 25, 30 feet tall. And so he carried each of the bodies of his children, opened the hatch and put them inside, I guess, with a big vat of, of oil, closed the hatch, locked it, got in his truck and drove home. On the drive home, he was texting Nicole, his mistress, the entire time. The immediate aftermath. When Shanann missed a doctor's appointment early the next day and failed to return text messages from Atkinson, one of her best friends, the, the woman who actually drove Shanann home from that Arizona training trip, uh, Atkinson reported Shanann and the girls missing. She knew in the back of her mind, you know, something is, is not right here. And this is something that needs to be investigated. We need to find her because she does not miss doctor's appointments. She's very fastidious. Uh, she certainly, you know, being pregnant, she would not have missed this doctor's appointment. That That is very, very unlike her and very, very out of character for her. So Atkinson immediately knew that or just kind of immediately felt in the back of her mind that something something was not right. Then when Shanann missed another business meeting a few hours later, Atkinson became very concerned and went to Chris and Shanann's house about 12.10 p.m. to check on her. So not only did Shanann miss a doctor's appointment that morning, but she also missed another business meeting later on that afternoon. This, again, was very, very unlike Shanann, and Atkinson knew that something was not, definitely something was not right. This is unlike her at all. So she called the police and drove immediately to Chris and Shanann's house to see if she could find her and, and check in on her and, and make sure that she was okay. She arrived at their house about 12, 10 p.m. that day, the next day after they had gotten home from the airport, the day after the murders. She knocked on the door. No one answered. When no one answered the door, Atkinson called Chris at work to tell him that something is not right. He needs to come home. When she got off the phone with Chris, she called the police. Chris got the phone call from Matt Atkinson, knew that Shanann and the girls were dead and buried, and then came home to meet with the police officer who was already on site. The police officer had gotten there before Chris had. The police officer arrived about 1.40 p.m. Well, we're going to place the, the police officer's police report in the show notes of, of this episode, so you'll be able to kind of look through those and, and see exactly what the police officer wrote and, you know, his interest in any of the charges and things like that that he thought might have happened. When the officer arrived on site... Chris was not there. Again, the police officer had, you know, arrived on site before Chris got there. He, they, you know, he worked about 30 to 45 minutes away from home. The officer knocked on the door and looked inside the windows to see if anyone was there. So, you know, Atkinson again is telling her, you know, Shanann is missing. You know, there's something wrong. She missed a doctor's appointment. She missed her business meeting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Something is not right. And so the police officer said, you know, I can't enter this house without 
the owner's permission. And so the best he could do was just kind of look in the windows and, and check to make sure that, you know, if, if there was anything he could see, if he if the police officer was able to see, you know, Shanann lying on the floor or whatever, then he would be able to enter. That's probable cause. But because he couldn't see Shanann, she was buried out at the oil site. He was unable to just enter the property and begin a search. So he had to wait until Chris got there to give him permission to enter the house to make sure that Shanann was OK. So the officer's, you know, out there, he's knocking on the door, he's looking in windows, he's, you know, calling out, Shanann, you know, are, are you here? Is everything okay? Hoping, you know, maybe she'll come to the door and, you know, she might have been asleep or, you know, whatever, and then everything would be fine. Atkinson, again, became more and more concerned as, as Shanann failed to answer, as, you know, things began to kind of get heated up and, and, and things began to be, you know, a little bit more and more and more out of character. It was, this is very unusual. This was very, very out of sorts. Shanann was not one to just disappear and not return text messages, not return phone calls, and certainly not one to miss doctor's appointments and, and business meetings. So she became much, much more concerned that, that something was Amiss. Something is not right. This is not good. When Chris finally got there, he gave permission for the police officer to enter the house and make sure everything was okay. So, you know, Chris, again, knowing what he had done the night before, showed up and a police officer is there and he said, Yes, you know, knock yourself out. Go in there, search around. Um, I haven't heard from Shanann. I haven't seen her. Uh, haven't seen the girls. Um, I assume that she took them to school when, when I left for work at 5 15 this morning, lying his ass off and just kind of in, in the back of his mind, he knows what he had done, what he did the previous night, and he's continuing to to kind of lie to this police officer and lie to Atkinson and kind of keep this charade going. And, you know, to to have all of these different narratives and, you know, having to put one face forward to, you know, law enforcement who, you know, is there to investigate a crime that, you know, you committed the night before and to not you know, put out that suspicious vibe or that, you know, the, the body language, he really had to be really hard self-monitoring and, you know, the, the thoughts of, of what was going, you know, what, what the police officer might find. Did, did I forget something? You know, is there something out of place? Does something not look right? Is, you know, is, is, am, am I acting too distant? Am I acting not distant enough, et cetera? It's all of these things were constantly going through Chris's mind. And I, I can't really imagine what that, what that hour long walkthrough must have been like for Chris because it, I'm, I'm, I'm not really a very good liar myself. And so I can't imagine, you know, the, the not really guilt, but the, I guess, fear of, of being figured out, of being, you know, found out and uh, constantly wondering if, if he was giving himself away or whatever that, that really probably, <laughs> that would have made me crazy and insane. I would not have been able to keep up that ruse in that show that Chris did during that police walkthrough. A cursory search of the house turned up Shanann's phone and keys, and her car, with the girl's seats still in the back seat, was parked inside the garage. So Shanann's purse, her phone, and her car were still there, which again raised all kinds of alarm bells for Atkinson because again, this is, you know, Shanann apparently never went anywhere without her phone, and it, it was something that she kind of, she was on her phone all the time. She was very, you know, active on Facebook and, and social media, and, and she just, she never went anywhere without her phone. So that, that in and of itself, uh, threw up another big red flag, and Atkinson slowly became convinced that something is not right. This is not something bad has happened. And then the police officer found her wedding ring, or actually Chris found it and walked out into the kind of the living room area where they all were and said, "Oh, she left her wedding ring here. That was not good. That was a bad sign." 
And personally, I think Chris probably planted that wedding ring. Um, I, I think that he used that as he kind of thought that he could use that as an alibi and kind of use the, the whole, we had an argument the night before she got mad and, you know, I went to work the next morning. She was still here and she took the kids to school and I guess she decided that she was done and she wanted to leave me where she is now. I have no idea. Her, obviously she left her wedding ring here and her phone and, you know, she, she wanted to end this marriage and, and go on her way. And again, that, you know, I'm thinking that was probably some kind of, of, deflection or defense mechanism possibly even the planting of a future alibi when he you know he came out with that wedding ring and said you know she left her wedding ring here so that must mean that she left me and she is where she is you know pretty much anything other than i killed her and i buried her so don't look at me you know shanann is you know someone who you know wasn't happy and she finally had enough and she took off so go find her again this this kind of seemed almost like uh, an, an evidence plant to support his his later story that uh, Shannon had left him after this big huge fight, which uh, again turned out to ultimately be untrue. She was dead and buried in an, an oil site <laughs> about forty five minutes away from their home. Chris initially told the police that he had no idea where Shannon and the girls had gone, and that he hadn't seen her since five fifteen that morning, the day before when he left for work. He gave several interviews on the front lawn of his house to local networks. So we're, we're going to talk about the front lawn interviews here in a little bit. But uh, again, once once news of of this disappearance in this very upper middle class neighborhood in suburban Colorado, where these types of things just didn't happen, uh, that attracted a lot of media attention. The police officer then went to a neighbor's house, Chris's next door neighbor, who reported that he had a video of Chris driving his truck out of his driveway and then backing it back into the garage. So Chris basically backed his truck out of his driveway, turned around and backed his truck into his garage, which he apparently never did. As the police officer and the next door neighbor were kind of watching this video, Chris was standing right there and uh, they were watching this video, this security footage. Apparently the, uh, the next door neighbor had kind of this security camera on the side of his house and it had captured all of this. It had captured Chris backing his truck out and backing his truck back into, into the garage. Chris was, appeared very, very uncomfortable. He was on his cell phone the entire time and he didn't really pay attention to the video. He didn't help you know, find clues or, or, you know, look to see if, if this was something that might have caught someone or something breaking into the house or sneaking into the house. Because, of course, Chris already knew what, what was being done at that point. You know, he, he was backing the truck in so that he could load Shanann's dead body into the back seat, or actually into the floorboard of the back seat. And so, again, this raised the ass pucker factor for Chris up to an 11 um, sitting here with this police officer watching this security footage of of him doing exactly what he knew he was doing at that moment. And, you know, the what m- must have been going through his mind while he was sitting there. No wonder he couldn't watch it. So he's sitting there looking at his phone, playing with his phone, bouncing from one leg to the other, seemed very, very nervous and very, very uncomfortable. Again, because he knew exactly what was on this video and, and he didn't want to he didn't want to watch it again. After watching the security footage with the police officer, Chris again shakes his neighbor's hand and rushes out of his neighbor's house. So he, you know, Chris watched the videos. The instant it was over, he reached out his hand to his neighbor, shook his hand, and bolted. When Chris was gone, the neighbor informed the officer that Chris was acting very, very strange and weird when they were watching this video. Chris was normally a pretty relaxed guy and a pretty, you know, outgoing, fun-loving guy. He didn't normally act like this you know the the nervousness and not really paying attention he didn't seem really all that interested in the video and then maybe seeing you know anything that might have 
that might have been a clue or anything that might have tipped off to exactly what had happened. Because again, this is this is footage of the night of the argument, the, the night that, that Shanann disappeared. Chris was kind of rocking back and forth uh, from one foot to the other. And the, the neighbor told the police officer that this is something that is, is very unlike him. He, he never does this. He's behaving very, very strangely. He's behaving very, very out of character. The neighbor also told the officer that, you know, he, he never backs his truck out and, and puts it in the garage. Uh, Shanann usually parked her car in the garage and Chris parked his truck on, on the driveway. It was uh, his work truck and it never really went into the garage because the garage, you know, was there, was there for Shanann's car. So uh, the neighbor was immediately suspicious as soon as he saw this and uh, he saw that the police officer was over at Chris's house. He, he went over there and told him, you know, I've got something you, you need to see. I have all of this kind of on security video footage. Even Nicole, uh, Chris's mistress, began to be suspicious about Chris's potential involvement in Shanann's disappearance when the news began to break about Shanann's and the children's disappearance. She said that it really concerned her that Shanann had yet to be found. So Chris's mistress, who didn't know, you know, obviously Chris did not tell her that he had killed his wife, she began to kind of put two and two together and put all of these pieces together that, you know, Chris's wife is now missing and he's got all this free time. He's been spending a whole lot of time with me. Did he possibly do something to her? So that's what kind of when, when these front lawn interviews really began to start. And, you know, if you have any, even a passing awareness of this case, then you've probably seen, you know, video excerpts of, of Chris standing on his front lawn with a, a lot of media giving these kind of interviews, begging Shanann to come home and begging whoever took her to let her go. And, you know, I just want you guys to come back, blah, blah, blah. So as, as these news crews began to kind of descend on the house, Following the break that a disappearance had, in fact, happened, uh, Chris gave a whole lot of these front lawn interviews, and they became kind of the entire image of of this case. The, the, you know, him standing right there at the little walkway to his front door and answering questions and, you know, begging and pleading for Shanann to come back or and the girls to come back. And, you know, if anyone had taken them or anyone had harmed them, please, you know, let him know. He wants to put all this behind him and he wants to, you know, resume his life and, he wants to have have his family back. The news crews actually stayed camped outside of his house, just waiting for any kind of news to break on on this subject. So there were several of these of these front lawn interviews. Anytime anything, any news broke about any break in the case or any information came out, they would immediately go up and uh, try to get Chris to come out and, and give them an interview. And he, he did. He did this quite quite a number of times. When a reporter asked him if he if he and Shanann had had a fight. Prior to the disappearance, Chris said, quote, it wasn't like an argument. We had an emotional conversation. I'll leave it at that. But I just want them back. I just want them to come back. End quote. Now, once these these uh, news interviews kind of began to get on the air and people began to watch it and take a lot of public interest in this case, a lot of viewers noted his unusually restrained demeanor as he spoke about his missing family. He seemed distant and emotionless as he begged for them to return home to him all the while knowing that he had killed them only days before and exactly what had happened and where they were. So he's kind of leading everyone on this wild goose chase that he, he, he already knew the answer to. And he went along with it for, for weeks. And, you know, begging for Shanann to come home and wondering where she is. And, you know, all, all of these volunteers had, 
had come to help you know, walk the streets and walk these fields and try and find her body and all of this money and expense went out to to finding the shenan and the girls and chris all all the while keeps you know fueling this fire and, and keeping this this interest in the case and saying you know, i i i still don't know where they are i haven't heard anything from them and knowing that all of these people were spending all of this time and money to try to help find someone that he had killed weeks before and that that's 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 pretty up there man i can't imagine uh that this is something that was was easy to do uh the that that's just it, it's it's very very remarkable and and almost almost kind of impressive that he was able to to maintain this this amount of emotional distance from this and be able to kind of again play play the part as well as he did he was he was a narcissist and and a psychopath i believe i believe that a lot of he, he you know focused a lot of this on himself and what he was going through and never you know really manned up and admitted what he had done and, and saved everyone else all of this trouble according to psychologist dr todd grande quote chris was displayed characteristics of narcissism and psychopathy from the way he murdered his family and disposed of their bodies end quote paraphrasing the qualities of narcissism and psychopathy chris watts showed that he quote lacked empathy only cared about himself and had no conscience end quote grandi also pointed out that quote chris watts's dark behavior didn't stop there he continued to text his girlfriend unenrolled his daughters from school and looked up vacations on google after the murders signaling a lack of remorse and no sense of accountability end quote arrest and charges Chris was brought in for questioning on August 15, 2018. After failing a lie detector test, he was interviewed by the police and the polygraph technician. They continuously asked him to confess that they knew he was lying. He failed the polygraph. They knew that he was not telling the truth. So they kept you know, saying, Chris, we know you're lying. This is the time to come clean. It's the time to put all of this to rest. Get this off your chest. You know, you can't keep up the charade. We're not going to listen to you tell us that you don't know what happened we know that you do it's you know how police officers do like that this again must have been kind of this ass pucker factor of, of 11 chris is sitting here and he knows that he has lied and he knows that they know that he has lied and he kind of has this internal dialogue going well do i finally admit it and get myself you know get this kind of put an end to all of this or do i continue to spin this tale uh, that I don't know what happened and, you know, tr almost in an effort to convince himself that, you know, he's telling the truth. You know, if you repeat something enough times, you actually begin to believe it. Um, so whether or not he, you know, really knew that the gig was up or whether he wanted to kind of believe it, almost really believe it himself. Chris is, Chris is the only one who, who knows that. Chris finally came to the decision that, that the gig is up. They know I'm caught, I'm busted, I'm going to come clean. Once he finally came to this realization, he asked to speak to his father, Ronnie Watts. And when uh, the police granted him that request, they, you know, his, his father was sitting outside of the, of the questioning room. And so they went and got him and, and brought him inside and let Chris and, and his father, Ronnie, speak alone. Of course, the video camera is, is still up there recording, but uh, they, they brought him in and, and gave Chris some, some alone time with his father. Uh, while he was speaking with his, with his father, he finally admitted to killing Shanann in, in the heat of the moment. 
When police finally came back in the room, he admitted it to them as well, but then he told them another lie. He claimed that, in response to his request for a separation, again to be with his mistress Nicole, it had been Shanann who had strangled the girls. Chris claimed to have witnessed the death of, deaths of his children on a baby monitor. He said he saw Shanann actively strangling Celeste and Bella's body, was motionless and sprawled out on her bed, and that she had turned blue. So Chris basically told police, and his father for that matter, that in desperation and in anger over his request for a separation, Shanann marched straight down the hallway to, his, to their little girls' rooms and killed each of them in turn. And Chris is sitting there in their room watching this on a baby monitor, and he essentially snapped and went in and killed Shanann in response to her killing the two children. Then he told them that he took all of their bodies to the off-site place where, where they were buried, the off-site oil facility, whatever you want to call it, owned by his employer. And that's where, that's where the bodies were, because you know, the police kept asking him, where, where are they? You know, help us find them, help them, help us put, you know, this to rest, help us find the body so that, you know, we can give her a good burial. Uh, with Chris's help, the authorities located all three bodies the next day, August 16th. The girls' bodies were found in oil tanks on the site, and Shanann's body was found in that shallow grave nearby. Chris was charged on August 21st, 2018, with five counts of first-degree murder. This includes two charges per child the, quote, death of a child who has not yet attained 12 years of age and the defendant was in a position of trust. So apparently if you kill a child under the age of 12 and you are in a position of trust to that child, you get two counts of murder. So two counts for each child, that makes four, and Shanann was the fifth. He was also charged with the unlawful termination of a pregnancy and three counts of tampering with a, dece a deceased human body. Chris's attorney was named Jeff or James Merson and was with the Colorado State Public Defender's Office. So he, Chris got a public defender, probably because he didn't have the financial means to, to hire a private one. Uh, the judge in that hearing denied bail, but he was granted $5 million bail in a later proceeding. In jail and awaiting sentencing, Chris was placed on suicide watch. He spent 23 hours a day in his cell alone, he didn't have a cellmate, and was given one hour per day in a room where he could call family and or counsel. So he, was, he got to leave his, his cell for one hour every single day and go to kind of this, this room with a phone and probably a, a little bit of television, maybe some workout equipment, etc. He was denied many of the other same privileges that were normally given to other prisoners, such as weights, reading material, and television. So he, he wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't allowed to watch TV. He wasn't allowed to work out. But he was allowed to, to call his family and he was allowed to call his, his attorney and just really kind of walk around and get out of his cell for an hour a day. Chris finally pleaded guilty on November 6th, 2018. Shanann's family did not want the death penalty because they did not want further death, but they supported Chris's decision to plead guilty and the DA's offer of, of no death. So the DA took the death penalty off the table when, uh, when Chris pleaded guilty. And uh, <laughs> in a kind of a cruel twist of fate, the death penalty was actually abolished in Colorado in, in 2020. So... Chris basically pleaded guilty for nothing. He would have gotten the exact same sentencing had he took and taken his chances in trial. He would have gotten life in prison, which is exactly what he got for his guilty plea. So that's kind of a little twisted justice, if you will. On November 19th, 2018, Chris was sentenced to five life sentences, three consecutive and two concurrent, without the possibility of parole. He was sentenced to another 48 years for the unlawful termination of the pregnancy an additional 36 years for the three charges of tampering with a deceased body. 
His $5 million bail was immediately revoked, and he was immediately remanded into custody. Due to, quote, security concerns, Chris was moved to another prison out of state. On December 5th, he arrived in a maximum security Dodge Correctional Institution in Wapoon, Wisconsin. I'm sure I'm saying that way wrong. W-A-U-P-U-N, Wapoon, uh, to serve his time, and he remains there to this day. There's actually a, a very good documentary on Netflix that examines this case and examines kind of the disappearances uh, of Shannon and the children and kind of the, the terrible events, the trial and, and you know, the, the front lawn interviews and, and all of the drama and everything of this case. It's called American Murder, The Family Next Door. So if, if you're interested in Chris Watson, you haven't seen that and you have Netflix, I would always strongly suggest you check it out. It really shows a whole lot of the intricacies of this case. And, and, you know, you, you get to hear from Chris and you get to, you know, see Shanann and what she was like. And of course the, the girls and all of the problems that were existing in their marriage. So it kind of gives a little bit of a inside peek into what, uh, what life was like for them. Uh, Shanann's family, not surprisingly had quite a bit of response to this, especially her brother. Uh, during the trial, judge Marcelo Kopech allowed Shanann's family to address the court and Chris. Chris sat there pretty stone-faced and showed little to no remorse. He didn't cry. He didn't, you know, really express much sorrow at all. Um, he just kind of sat there and took it. So so Shanann's parents and her, her mother and her father and her brother just really got up and, you know, said how much Shanann meant to them and how Chris could possibly have done this and what could have motivated him to, to murder and take their daughter and their grandchildren from from the world and you know deny them the the life that they so very much deserved uh chris was continuously bouncing his leg up and down you know that universal sign uh, of nervousness and uncomfort uh he he definitely was I, I guess it was reaching him that you know he was he was responsible for taking the lives of, of essentially four people and you know two of them were his his very own children uh Shanann's father frank Razuchek openly wept throughout the hearing while her brother Frankie Razuchek just kind of sat over there and, and just glared at Chris and Frank Frankie was very very angry and uh Frank her father was was just almost beside himself with grief he was you know tears were streaming down his face and you could just see the the pain and the anguish that he was going through watching you know the trial of of his former son-in-law on trial for for murdering his daughter and his his two grandchildren Frankie, on the other hand, um, had quite a bit to say about Chris and the murders. He said, quote, I just want to know why. My precious family, my one and only sibling, my sister Shanann, two adorable nieces, Bella and Celeste, and her soon-to-be-found-out unborn son, Nico. I just want 30 seconds alone with that psychopath. May Satan have mercy on his soul. The cops dragged their feet. He was the only one with them and backed his truck into the garage. Doesn't take a genius to know... Who was suspect. My blood is boiling and the pain and anger and sadness I have in my heart. Nothing, absolutely nothing would get in my way of taking away his life like he did mine and my entire family. End quote. Frankie expressed his gratitude to the community for their support toward his family during this time. All of the volunteers who helped search for Shanann and all the letters of support and, and you know, this, this outpouring of support they had you know, candlelight vigils on the front lawn of the house and just the overwhelming support that the neighbors in the, the community at large showed toward the family was, was really, really touching. He further said, quote, I wanted to take a minute and thank everyone who has helped me, helped us in every way possible, from best friends and family to people from all over the world. 
It's truly an honor and a blessing to be part of this family. It's an indescribable feeling when people all over the globe reach out just to send their condolences to a listening ear. End quote. Regarding the violent way Shanann, Bella, and Celeste passed, he said, quote, Never in my wildest dreams would I ever have dreamt such a horrific nightmare and just plain heartbreaking tragedy would ever happen to my regular old happy family. We lost so much in the blink of an eye, but we also gained love and support from people all over, and they became part of our family. End quote. The funeral. Shanann's and the children's funeral was held at the Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Hundreds of mourners gathered in person. Thousands more watched the live stream on Facebook. Father John Forbes told mourners, quote, Shanann was a woman of love. She loved God, her family, and her friends. She was a woman of determination. She had dreams to be fulfilled, and she worked towards those dreams. She wanted to make a difference. She wanted to be an exceptional wife and mother. No one mentioned Chris. So that is the story of Chris Watts and Shanann, the two little girls, Bella and Celeste, and what happened in Fredericks, Colorado. This is a very sad, very shocking case because, again, two little children died in addition to a pregnant woman. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, join us again. Uh, next week, we are going to be discussing the case of Lori Vallow or Lori Daybell, and uh, impending or the subsequent disappearance and murder of her two children. Uh, ooh, another one with children. So uh, please be on the lookout for that. Uh, we're going to try and post uh, quite a bit more frequently. Um, we're averaging about a week to 10 days between episodes now, and uh, that's a pretty good schedule. I'd like to, to keep that schedule going. So you can expect a, a new episode, depending on uh, really, again, on how much research is involved. Um, some cases take a little bit longer to research than others. During this time, we, you know, we, we took a little bit more time between our last episode and this one uh, because we're re we were rebranding. You might have noticed some new intro music, new voice actor, new outro music. Um, so uh, we, we got some new equipment. So hopefully I, I sound a little bit better. Um, I, I've learned quite a bit more on how to edit. So uh, head to uh, reddoorinvestigations.com. And you'll be able to see all of the show notes. You, you can go to the reddoorinvestigations.com slash behind the door. And uh, you'll be able to find out uh, exactly all of the stuff that we have. Uh, we're going to post uh, the show notes. I'll post the uh, police report from the Chris Watts case on there. And you'll also be able to, to uh, listen to a lot of our other past episodes. Um, but uh, starting with this episode and moving forward, uh, we're going to be focusing almost exclusively on true crime, we might throw in, you know, a private investigation episode here or there, maybe an interview section. But uh, again, the vast majority of these episodes will be true crime cases like the one we just went over today. Um, so again, stay tuned. Uh, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on all of the major platforms. So uh, next week, Lori Vallow, Lori Daybell. Hope to see you then. Take care. Sean out. This has been The Investigation Guru. Hosted by Sean and Dana. A presentation of Red Door Investigations in the DFW Metroplex of Texas. Specializing in infidelity, fraud, child custody, missing persons, and more. Check out our website at reddoorinvestigations.com or on social media at Red Door PI. For more fascinating deep dives into real true crime, subscribe to the show today. Many elements of an investigation have to remain secret. 
but not this podcast. Our best advertising has always been word of mouth, so please share the feed with a friend today. And if you'd like to support the show, we offer some goodies on our Patreon at patreon.com slash invgurupod. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.